Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. How do you have a conviction here and none here? And um, I'm just pointing that out to us that we know that God wants all of us, right? And the conviction of the Holy Spirit, God wants to, God doesn't want parts of my life to be right. He didn't die to get part of me. He died for all of me. Um, and a lot of church people, the part of their life they get right is the public part. God bless you. Praise the Lord. We get that part down. But it's that personal life that the Lord is like, I see you when nobody else sees you. Sometimes believers divide their lives into compartments, giving God parts of themselves and serving Him in some capacities. They seem obedient and faithful, yet in some areas are anything but. Yet as Pastor Bill teaches today, God wants all of you. He wants to be in all parts of your life. You can't serve Him in one area of your life and deny Him in another. He sees all of you and knows your heart. Surrender all parts of yourself to Him today and trust Him where it's difficult. He's faithful and at work in you. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Numbers, chapter 24, for today's edition of A Transforming Word. Numbers 24, uh, we'll be picking up. We left off at verse 11, and let me just kind of bring us back up to where we were. We're we're still in the midst of the story of Balaam and Balak. Uh, If you guys remember, Balak is... Uh, wanting Israel to be cursed. He's, he's heard how that God has blessed Israel. He's heard about the kings that went out after Israel and how they were defeated in battle. And so what he decided was, you know what? I'm not going to do the battle with them because everybody that's gone to war with them that I've seen has lost, been defeated. What I'm going to do is he tried to tap into something more spiritual. He said, I, I want to I get this prophet for hire guy, Balaam, and see if he'll pronounce a curse on Israel for me. And so he called for Balaam to come down and offered Balaam all kinds of money and honor it, it, so that he would curse the people. So he would curse Israel. Um, and you guys that have been with us know the story. Every time Balaam, though he's a prophet of God and though he's got an amazing gift and ability and insight and connection to the Lord, what's Balaam's issue? What's he greedy for? Money. He, he's looking at the, the opportunity for some honor and some stuff and saying, Man, for that honor and that stuff, I, I want to see this happen. I want to I see if I can curse Israel. And he was actually trying to get it done. And again, I'm, I'm still kind of scratching my head as I look at Balaam, just thinking like, what's wrong with this dude? Like, why, why would a guy with that kind of connection with the Lord and that kind of gifting, um, it, it would seem like that would be, an, it would, to me, it would seem like it would be enough to, that would be the honor enough to be in relationship with the Lord with an amazing gift and insight, supernatural insight from God. That would seem like enough. Um, but you know what happens when we're not satisfied in God? We start looking for some temporal stuff. He had, he had something to be thankful for. and He wasn't thankful for it. And so um, he wanted honor and he wanted stuff. Well, God wouldn't let him curse Israel. And we talked about that two times already, that God said, those are my people and they won't, you can't curse them. They can't be cursed. And so when he went to speak a curse, God made him speak a blessing. And so if you guys remember, Balak is just done. He's just frustrated. He's like, man, I, I brought you here to curse him. And if you guys remember, he kept taking him to a different place. He brought him over here and he pronounced a, a blessing. So he thought maybe it's the location. So he brought him to another area and said, okay, maybe you can curse them from here. And he went to talk from there and God just spoke blessing over them again. And so Balak, Balak's fed up. He's like, that. you know what, man, forget it. And this is where we left off with Balak says to Balaam, 
is something that the enemy many times tells us. And I, I read it to you guys, verse 11. He says, now therefore flee to your place. This is Balaam telling Balaam, get out of here. I'm sick of you blessing these people. I want you to curse. He says, I said I would greatly honor you, but in fact, the Lord has kept you back from honor. And we left off with that. Balaam is saying, you know what, Balaam, I was going to bless you, but God didn't let you get it. You were going to get honor, but God kept back honor from you. But that's one of the lies of the enemy. It tells people that God is keeping good things from us. We look back at Adam and Eve, and that's what, that's, what, that's what Satan told Eve in the garden. He said, did God really say you couldn't eat of every tree in the garden? That's messed up. You know that God knows in the day you eat of that tree, you'll be just like him, knowing good and evil. Same lie. Same trick he pulled on Eve. He does it today. And so there are people today, and we need to be careful, that as we're out there trying to honor God and live for the Lord, that we don't buy into the lie of the enemy that says, man, if I just did it this way, it would be better. If I did it my own way, if I went and, you know, doing it God's way is taking too long. Anybody ever been tired of trying to do it God's way is taking too long? Uh, go, you raise your hand. Go ahead. It's okay. All right. It, it sometimes... I found many times doing it God's way, it's the lengthy route, but it's the better route. Um, you know, you, you let the enemy trick you into a shortcut. And, and, and this is one thing that's consistent with the enemy. He lures people out there, gets them in trouble, and then he disappears. Right? I look at the story of Eve and Satan, and Satan was talking to her. Did God really say that? No, he said this. And they were going back and forth, back and forth. But you know what? Once she ate of the fruit, Satan gone. Conversation's over. He's like, gotcha. He's in the wind. And that's what he does. He'll lure people out, tell a few lies, get it going, get you, get you, get you, get you right where you don't need to be. Got you. He's out of here. And so we want to be cautious about hearing that sort of thing or uh, letting our mind go that way. So now look at verses. Now we pick up verse 12. It says, so Balaam and Balak, Balaam said to Balak, did I not also speak to your messengers whom you sent to me saying, if Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the word of the Lord to do good or bad of my own will. What the Lord says that I must speak. And now, indeed, I am going to my people. Come, uh, I will advise you what this people will do to your people in the latter days. And so one thing Balaam does is this perplexes me with him. In some instances, he's doing the right thing. He says, hey, man, didn't I tell you? I can only say what God says to say. That sounds like a good guy. That sounds like a faithful man of God, a prophet of God. I mean, I'm listening to one side of his mouth and I'm thinking, he sounds right on. He's saying, didn't I tell you I can't go beyond the word of God? I told you and I told your people that. What's wrong with you? Um, but as I'm reading the whole story and I'm looking what, at where his heart was at and what he wanted to do, this is what I'm reminded of this, that there can be people that are compartments of their life are right on with the Lord compartments and there could be some other compartments that are way off same person I mean you look at one facet of their life and it's like man they look so together and obedient and honoring the Lord and conviction against this and they wouldn't dare do this thing over here and then you look at some other area of the life and be like that don't make no sense at all I don't understand this at all and I've known I've known Christians like this I've known Christians that people that won't cuss won't do this that and the other and you find out over here that they're doing some other outlandish stuff and it's like, how, did, how, how, do you have, how do you have a conviction here and none here? And um, I'm just putting that out to us that we know that God wants all of us, right? And the conviction of the Holy Spirit, God wants to, God doesn't want parts of my life to be right. He didn't die to get part of me. He died for all of me. Um, and a lot of church people, the part of their life they get right is the public part. 
God bless you. Praise the Lord. We get that part down. But it's that personal life that the Lord is like, I see you when nobody else sees you. Um, what God has convicted me on over the time that I walk with the Lord is because I, I, I could tend to be a Pharisee. Um, there was a point in my life where I had no control and I just went off the handle and just and then seemed like I got saved and God gave me self-control. Like, man, I, 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 those words don't come out. I catch them. Like, I, I used to just say it. Now, now I feel like I have some control. But then what God started dealing with me on is that, but I still see what you're thinking. And there are times where I have the discipline to not say the bad thing, but I'll entertain my own thought life saying it. I'll still get it said in my head. And God's like, I'm in there too, bro. That's it. You got the, we got to stop at the thought level. I'm not, that's the, on the outside, I look like I did the right thing. But God has said, I see that. I see your heart, man. And, and it's like, I mean, I, I would imagine for some kids, it's that way. Johnny, go take out the trash. Okay, mom. He said the right thing outside. So mom, because mom would go outside his head in some households. But maybe in his heart, he was like, oh, stupid. I'm forgot to try God sees that person. You know, the, you might know the right thing to say externally, but God's like, I'm seeing the whole thing. And so just a reminder, if you look at a guy like Balaam and think, man, I mean, sometimes it looks good and other times it looks absolutely perverted. He was a double-minded person. What does James tell us? That God doesn't want us to be double-minded. He said, let not that man think he should receive anything from the Lord. You know, we don't want to be double-minded. We want to be single-minded for the Lord, just sold out to Jesus Christ and who he is and what he desires. And so, again, Balaam was told that he was, he was being kept from honor. Um, but, but when you think about it, Balaam is spoken about over 10 times in other places in the scripture. And every time he's spoken of, it's in a dishonorable light. So in one sense, he's like, I'm go, he's going after honor and he ends up getting dishonor because of the way in which he did it. He goes down in history and in scripture as a man that every time he's spoken about this, he's, he's being, we're being warned not to be like him. It wasn't like the way of Balaam was the way we want to go. It was the way that you don't want to go. And Jude talked about him in that way. And Revelation spoke about him in that way. And Peter, second Peter spoke about him in that way. And, and there were just, didn't look like, I, I can't find anywhere where it says, but Balaam did this right on. He lost honor in this exchange. And I believe that we, we end up losing honor in the same way. When people try to go their own way, um, you end up with loss of honor. You end up losing, um, not gaining in the process. And so now he offers up. So three times he's prophesied, he's spoken over Israel, blessing. Look backwards to verse 10. After he pronounced another blessing on them, verse 10, it says, Then Balak's anger was aroused against Balaam, and he struck his hands together. And Balak said to Balaam, I called you to curse my enemies, and look, you have blessed them bountifully these three times. And when you think about it, when he's clapping his hands, anybody ever seen somebody arguing, and they're like, <laughs> clapping their hands, like, like <laughs> they're trying to just, just, it's just in anger and in rage. That's, that's where Balak is at. He's like, just stop, 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 stop. He's just in frustration and total, like, just be quiet. Don't say another word. He's clapping to bring it to a pause. I just want us to catch where Balak is at. And he sees, he's done. He's like, Balaam, go home. We're done. And even though that's where he's at, Balaam is like, I got one more word for you. He ain't asked for another word. He didn't invite him to speak another word, but Balaam's like, I, I got one more word. And again, I'm blown away that this is going to end up being a prophetic word from the Lord. When he spoke the word, it says in verse 2, that Balaam raised his eyes and saw Israel encamped in their tribes and the spirit of God came upon him. 
And then he began to speak. It doesn't say that this time that the spirit of God came upon him. But he, as he opens up or as he picks up the oracle, begins to speak the prophetic word, he says the same kind of the same thing he said last week. And I, I, I didn't have time to go into this last week. But when we look at the work of the spirit in the Old Testament, it's different than in the New Testament. For Old Testament saints, the spirit would come upon a person for an individual. I mean, just for this act of service at this moment. Uh, but it wasn't like he didn't abide with you. He didn't continue to be with you. So the spirit could come upon you and God will use you to do something and he could be taken away. Remember, David prayed in the Psalms, Lord, take not thy Holy Spirit from me because it could be given and taken. Uh, remember, Samson, it says he did not know that the spirit had departed. Then, then he finally gouged out his eyes and the spirit would come upon him every time the Philistines came in. And finally, when he finally messed up far enough, it says he, he didn't even know that the spirit of God had departed and it wasn't there. And so it just should be a reminder to us that what we have, our experience with God and the work of his spirit is different than what they had. And we should be thankful for it. Right. Where does the Holy Spirit dwell now in us? And I just was thinking about this and preparing for today. He lives in us. So in some circles of the church, you know, if you can get things really riled up, people are like, oh, I really felt the spirit moving. Um, as though the spirit's kind of out there, you know, moving and doing things. But the spirit is in us. God's Holy Spirit lives in every believer. So whenever believers come together, if we come together and we're walking in the fullness of the spirit, the spirit of God is in this place and he works through people. You know, it, it, I just would point that out. So for him, it was prophetically he prophesied. And I just was I was thinking about this concerning a church. Like if if everybody at church on a Sunday or Thursday night walked in full of the Holy Spirit, yielded to God's spirit, uh, there would be all the fruits of the spirit, love, goodness, gentleness, peace, patience, self-control. So that would be all juicy and all yummy and all good. And then there'd be the the giftings of the Holy Spirit, prophetic words and prophetic things and words of wisdom, words of knowledge, prophecies and all these different things. Those things would be in action and in movement. And um, there may be, you know, words of knowledge, gifts of healing, different things. I mean, just it would just all of that would just be flowing in our midst if we were just yielded. And so I would encourage you guys that rather than go into a church environment looking for some external, looking for God to do something for me, looking for God to, you know, I didn't really feel it today. Um, recognize that he lives in you and in him and in her and in them. And rather than looking for something else to happen, it's like, God, am I walking in your foot? As I come together with the congregation today, am I full of you? Could you use me today to encourage, edify, challenge, strengthen, build somebody else that we would have that mindset on as we come together as a church? But moving on, he's going to speak this word here. So again, this is a, this word here is for free. He, he didn't ask him for this one, but he offered it up. Verse 14 he said, I will advise you what this people will do to your people in the latter day. So he's speaking a word. That's how we know it's prophetic. He's not right now, but in the latter day. This is going to be a word of something that's to come later. Verse 15. So he took up his oracle and said, and this is the exact same phrase he said in verse three and four uh, before he spoke. He said, the utterance of Balaam, the son of Beor, and the utterance of the man whose eyes are open, the utterance of him who hears the word of God. And has the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty, who falls down with eyes wide open. And just an interesting thing here is as he describes himself, he says, look, this is the word coming forth from Balaam, the son of Beor, the utterance of a man whose eyes are wide open. I got vision from the Lord. 
the utterance of him who hears the word of God. I, I got connection. I hear directly from the Lord, um, have knowledge of the most high who sees vision of the all who sees the vision of the almighty. And he says, and I fall down with my eyes wide open. Like God is just showing him he's getting vision. And then he starts in verse 17. He says, he says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. A, a scepter shall rise out of Israel and batter the brow of Moab and destroy the sons of tumult. So real quick, whoever's coming, he says a star and he says a scepter. He says, I see him, but not right now. Notice that the hymn is capitalized in your Bibles. Is, that, is it capitalized in you guys' Bibles? If not, you guys got to get better Bibles. Uh, but it should be. So I see him, but not now. It says, I behold him, another capital him, but not near. A star, stars capitalized, shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. So who are we talking about here? We're talking about Jesus Christ. This is a prophetic word about Jesus. He's going to come. He says, I see him coming. And again, this is what got me, right? I, this is, you know, plainly, this is a, a prophecy about the coming of Christ and how that he's going to deal with all the enemies of Israel. God's going to wipe them out and deal with them. That's what we're going to get. But I want you to notice this. Why is God telling him? I'm looking at this guy and I'm thinking, how come he gets this word? That's an amazing word. I mean, that's, this is awesome insight. This is a great, um, I mean, to know this in advance is amazing. And I'm looking and thinking like, man, I, I, I don't understand why. I, I really don't. I'm really perplexed as I look at a guy like this, knowing that his heart's bent in a wicked way and he wants to get Israel cursed. And God's like, I'm going to use him. And I, this is what I thought of. I wondered if God's like, I, I'm still going to speak it through him because he needs to hear it. He, he's going to hear what I'm going to do. He's going to hear about what I'm doing. At the same time, God's were going forth to, to this king. God was warning him. And I believe that for this king who was already, remember before he ever called Balaam to curse the people, his condition was he was fearful. He had seen Israel defeat two people and he was afraid. Well, after getting three blessings on Israel and now getting a specific prophetic utterance, I don't think he's going to be any less afraid. I think he's going to rob him of all his peace and his good feelings, you know, that God is promising uh, to stand with Israel in this way. And so verse 18, and Edom shall be a possession. Seir also, his, en his enemies shall be a possession while Israel does valiantly. Out of Jacob, one shall have dominion and destroy the remains of the city. Then he looked at Amalek and he took up the oracle and said, Amalek was first among the nations, but he shall be last until he perishes. And what he's doing, he's going one by one. Through these people. First, Moab. Going to batter the brow of Moab and destroy all the sons of Tumult. Verse 18. And then Edom is going to be a possession. Seir is also, and his enemies shall be a possession when Israel does valiantly. Um, out of Jacob, one shall have dominion and destroy the remains of the city. And so God is saying, they're going to go down. 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 And, and it's, it's always the believer's position. We, we know that we're fighting from a place of victory, even though it hasn't happened yet, because God told us so. And, and the, the best way I could kind of describe that, um, I like watching, uh, I'm not really a boxing fan, but I like watching Miss Martial Arts, um, which is, that's, I guess that's, that takes over for boxing for me at this point in my life. And there's been a couple times where I missed the fight that I really wanted to see. 
And so I, you know, it was recorded at home. I was looking forward to going home and watching it. But before I can get home and watch it, some people on Facebook and other places spoiled it for me. They say, who won? You know, now, now I already know who won, but it was a four, uh, it was a four round fight. I still want to go see the fight. And there was one particular fight that I was told who won. My guy lost. And then I go look at the fight and I'm like, no, he looks like he's winning. He looks like he's winning. But I, but I know in the back of my mind that no matter what it looks like, I know what ended up happening. I, I kind of got, got the end result back here locked in, but I still want to see it play out. But I know who wins and I know who loses before it's all said and done. We could look at these nations, look at these people, and they could for years look at these people and look at these nations and say, right now it looks like they're on top. Right now it looks like they're doing awesome. Right now it looks like they're having the victory. But ultimately, we've already got the preview. Uh, we already know that they, they ultimately will lose. God's going to have the victory. And so one thing you see pronounced throughout Scripture is God's victory. And he always gets the victory. He always gets the victory, no matter what it looks like in the middle. Even when the enemy looks like his foot is on the neck and, 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 and God's plans aren't coming to pass, God never loses. God never loses a battle that he intends to win. And so I, I was thinking of other instances in Scripture where it looked like the enemy had, had got a victory. But he didn't get a victory because God's working all things out for his purpose. I'm, I'm sure for the religious leaders who just hated Jesus, they hated him for no good reason, but they hated him. They hated what he stood for. They hated what he said. They hated the power. They hated the fact that people were worshiping him and leaving their little synagogues and their religious rituals and everything else. They hated Jesus and they wanted him dead. And they finally got one of his own disciples, Judas. We got one. We got a mole. We got a guy on Jesus' team that for a certain amount of money is going to take us and betray him. And I'm sure for the religious leaders, they were like rubbing their chops together. I'm sure they were singing, yes, we got it. We got him now. We got him now. And, and, and they did. They went and they took him. And they grabbed him and they took him. And Jesus said, man, you guys coming for me with clubs and stuff? I, I'm with you guys every day in the synagogue. With, you, know, I'm, you know, why are you coming at me with all this stuff? You know, Peter chopped off the dude's ear. Jesus put it back on and healed him. He wasn't about the war and the fighting thing. And they took him away violently and brutally and they mocked him and they made fun and they did all these things. And I'm sure Satan was behind it all. And I'm sure as Satan is watching those things transpire, there had to be in his mind the idea that I, he was finally, I was, I'm going to stop him from doing what he said he was going to do. I, I'm going to put an end to Jesus. And he finally gets him on the cross and he hangs him there and he dies. And I'm sure, I've watched the movie, The Passion of Christ. I'm sure in the same way when the Bible says when a believer, when one person repents that all of heaven rejoices, I'm sure that Satan and the demonic realm rejoiced in the moment of his death. And it looked like we, we did it. it we, we beat him. And it would have looked like as the disciples who were discouraged and distraught and bummed out, they were like, even when Jesus was on the road to Emmaus, they said, man, we had hoped that he was going to do all this stuff. And now he's, he's dead, gone. You know, he died. And it looked like the enemy had his way. But and one thing that transpired is Jesus rose from the grave. What looked like defeat was now even greater victory. Not only did he demonstrate he had power over death and power over the grave, that now he says that same spirit that raised me from the dead, you have it. Now, everybody that believes in me has it. We all have life beyond the death. We, we, we don't have to walk around afraid to die. We don't have to walk around with fear of death. We know that we shall live. And so he took something that looked like Satan was, had his way. He said, nope, 
That's that, that, even that's going to be my victory. And so as I read this here and I look at the enemies of God, and we'll, we'll, we'll talk about a couple of them where, where, you know, kind of more fixtures as enemies against the people of God. There is no enemy of God that wins or stands. They all lose. They all fail. They all get wiped out ultimately. Thanks for joining Pastor Bill on a transforming word as he teaches through the book of Numbers. As you listen to today's message, we pray that it has not only inspired you in your faith journey, but challenged you in your relationships. The book of Numbers recounts the various struggles the people of Israel faced with those outside of their camp, but also within. Surely, there are difficulties you might be facing inside your family, your church, your work setting, and the nation as a whole. But God is still here, and He's proven time and time again that He's not leaving you or abandoning you. So when you're tempted to get down and out, chin up and remember that He is faithful. The messages you've been listening to are in Ministry of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. If you're ever in or near the Inglewood area, you're more than welcome to join us for church. We meet at Calvary Chapel Inglewood every Sunday and Wednesday. And you can get more information on our website at calvaryinglewood.org. You can also call or text us for more information. Our number is 310-245-4811. Again, that's 310-245-4811. If you're looking for more resources or ways to connect with us, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Just look for the links on our website. Again, that's CalvaryInglewood.org. Well, that's all we have time for today. But Pastor Bill will have more to share from the book of Numbers next time on A Transforming Word. <laughs>